as I was pondering and meditating on lessons learned from all this, the Lord brought to remembrance something that happened to me in junior high school. I was in eighth grade, and um, there was this other guy named Stuart, and uh, he was just a classmate, you know, never thought anything of him, and there was never any problem, but all of a sudden, this false narrative, this fake news started bubbling up where people started telling me, man, I don't know what you did to Stuart, but he hates you. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I don't even know the guy. Why would he hate me? And they kept telling Stuart the same thing, unbeknownst to me. That Ron guy, he really hates you. So, you know, you start believing that fake report, don't you? And so we'd see each other, and he'd be like, what are you looking at? And I'd be like, what are you looking at? <laughs> and, and then, uh, you know, it escalated to in the hallways, you know, you brush against each other, and sometimes other kids would push us into each other if we were in close proximity. And it was just weird to me that, you know, the guy never did anything to me. I never did anything to him that I was aware of. But people kept telling us that we had this ought against each other. And so one day it boiled over and ended up, meet you after fifth hour on the front lawn of the school by the flagpole, right? So we get out there, and there was about six inches of snow on the ground. It was like a January or February day. And we start fighting, and we start punching each other in the face. And you find out quickly those punches hurt. So, you know, you, you get in as close as you can, right? So we started wrestling. We get on the ground, and now we're rolling around in the snow. And all the kids are, like, chanting and mocking and taunting us in a circle. And so we're rolling around on the ground, and they start throwing snowballs at us. And these snowballs are hitting us in the head and stuff. And so now we're really frustrated. We're, we're wrestling, and now we got the crowd involved. And he shouts out to me. He goes, why do you hate me? I said, I don't hate you. I said, why do you hate me? He goes, I don't hate you. We're like, well, what are we doing? <laughs> Why are we fighting? And so everyone's still taunting us. And so anyways, we said, this is stupid. Let's stop fighting. And we got up, and they're still hitting with the snowballs. And we said, let's get them. So we charged the crowd. And it was literally, you know, how the Bible talks about the enemy fleeing seven different ways. And these kids all took off running. And it was amazing because that became a beginning of a friendship between me and Stuart because once we learned that we really had no ought against each other, but it was this false narrative that we were listening to and believing. So I just wanted to share that real quick to just tell you, you know, consider the source. And if it doesn't make sense to you, you know, question it and, and really try to discover the origin of some of these stories that are happening because it happens on both sides, right? Both sides are equally guilty. So I just want to encourage you to stop and think and think it through because sometimes when it doesn't make sense it's probably because it's a lie right so anyways i just shared that <laughs> so throughout 2020 you know i think one thing we can all agree on is we've been really unclear in what to do in these days um you know many of you know i lead up the prophetic team and you know we've always had clear words and clear understanding of the seasons and the time in this past six months, I got to say, we've been in so much confusion and scratching our heads and just really trying to discern what exactly is going on. So two weeks ago, Pastor Tim was talking about getting back to basics. And so, you know, when, when the car goes off the rails, you know, sometimes you say, let's, let's get back to basics. 
coaches always go back to basics, right? When you start on a losing streak, it's like we got to get back to the fundamentals. And so Pastor Tim was kind of encouraging us in that. And so I started thinking about that. And one of the things that sprung up in my mind was the story of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Um, I gave you a handout, and it's got chapter 20 of Second Chronicles on it. It's a lot of scriptures, so we're going to go through a lot of scripture tonight. So I got to really fly, so I apologize ahead of time. But um, Jehoshaphat succeeds his dad, Asa, and um, he was the king of Judah, as I said. And this is at the time when the kingdom was divided into two nations. There was Jerusalem and there was Judah. And so Asa gives his throne to Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat turns out to be a pretty decent king. One of the things he did, he established a lot of reforms in the land. And he started having people taught the book of the law. So he's doing like these Bible studies, telling them this is what the law says. And so he's just bringing his nation back to God. And it says the fear of the Lord fell on the surrounding kingdoms and on Judah because he was a godly king and he was trying to serve God and please God and reminding everyone of God's commands and his precepts. And so we pick up the, the narrative here and it says... After this, the Moabites and the Amorites and some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. And so this, after this that it's talking about is talking about um, Jehoshaphat was in an alliance with King Ahab. So you might remember Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was the king of Israel. And he kind of uh, conned Jehoshaphat into going war to war with him because Jehoshaphat's son married Ahab's daughter. And so they basically said, we're kind of family, so if I go to war, you got to back me. And so he got kind of drawn into this conflict. So Jehoshaphat's a little battle-weary at this time. Ahab, of course, was killed in the battle, so Jehoshaphat isn't too anxious to go back to war. So um, we pick up in verse 2, it says, Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom from the other side of the Dead Sea, and it is already in Hazan Tamar. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So, number one, fundamental, right? What do you do when you're in trouble? You pray and you fast. So the king instituted the number one thing he knew to do, and he draws the whole nation together and say, we got trouble. We got three armies approaching us from the east. We're heavily outnumbered, and this isn't looking good. We got a call for help. So it says um, this prayer was written about 850 B.C., give or take a little bit. So in your Bibles, what you're holding in your hand is Jehoshaphat's prayer, I think this is amazing, isn't it? The Bible is just so fascinating. You know, we have services, uh, you know, like the bulletin from when Solomon dedicated the temple. We got letters. We got official greetings. Um, everything's in the Bible. It's just amazing. But here we have a 3,000-year-old prayer. And this is what Jehoshaphat prayed. He said, verse 5 there, it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord, in the front of the new courtyard, and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? 
You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to your descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear and save us. So that's a remarkable prayer, and here we have it in our hands. It's just crazy. You know, what if you found a prayer that was left in this prayer room from 100 years ago? Wouldn't you consider that something really precious? I mean, I think I would save that. I'd put that in my Bible because someone prayed an earnest prayer, a cry for help. So here we have Jehoshaphat crying out, and it's interesting because he's praying in Solomon's temple, right? And Solomon was his great, great grandfather. So here he is in Solomon's temple. And this last part is really interesting. It says, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. What does that remind you of? A very famous passage from Second Chronicles, right? Remember the prayer that Solomon prayed? You know, if my people who are called by na my name will humble themselves and pray I will, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. So that's almost his great-great-granddad's prayer, isn't it? Almost word for word. So it's very fascinating to me that, that he copied that prayer because that was what he was trained to do. So our story continues in verse 10. It says, but now here are the men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That is classic, isn't it? Man, if you want to memorize a verse, there's a verse to remember. We have no power to face this vast army. We don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. That's the formula, right? That's what you do when you don't know what you do. You put your eyes on him. You cry out to him and you say, God, you're my all in all. You're my focus. You're my help. Uh, you're my help in time of trouble. So you turn away from everything else. You stop leaning on your own understanding. You stop trying to figure it out. You admit and confess that you're powerless. We talk about the sons of Issachar all the time, don't we? And we always hold them up as an example because the word tells us that the sons of Issachar, they knew the seasons and they knew what to do. And we kind of marvel at that, don't we? We respect them because they always knew what to do. But how did they know what to do? Their eyes were always on the Lord, right? So whenever there was trouble, the sons of Issachar would inquire of the Lord. And so here we have Jehoshaphat doing the same thing. And so that's our theme for tonight. What do you do when you don't know what to do, right? So you call on the name of the Lord. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You pray and you fast. And that's exactly what was his starting point. Then he confessed his weakness and his dependence on God. 
and what a great place to be. You're my daddy. You're my father. You're my, you're my protector. And that's such an important confession because that shows humility, doesn't it? It shows you have a humble heart. It shows that this thing is way bigger than you. I don't know about you that are parents here, but there's nothing I love more to do than to help my children. But, you know, you got to be careful, don't you? Because sometimes you rush in and you try to help, and well-meaning as it is, you frustrate them, right? Or you try to take uh, leadership of their family. That's not a good thing, you know? So what you have to do is you have to wait. Wait for what? Wait till they ask for help, right? So if you try to just butt in or you try to just offer it up, sometimes that can be act actually offensive, can it? And, um, you know, I found myself a couple times in, in a bad way because I overstepped my bounds and meaning to help, but my help wasn't appreciated at the time because they need to figure it out themselves. You know, this morning as I was leaving for work, I'm trying to help my three-year-old grandson put his shoes on, and my daughter said, stay out of it. He's trying to learn, you know. And as much as I wanted him to get going, I had to let him struggle to put his shoes on the wrong feet and, you know, then correct it, right? But, but the thing is, is we have to allow our kids to be kids and, and only help when they're asking for help. Of course, if the Lord instructs you otherwise, you have to follow the Lord, right? But I'm just saying, in general, you always want to help out. But God is that way, isn't he? So he waits, and Jehoshaphat says, I need your help. We're in this thing deep. So verse 14, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite, and a descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So what do you do when you don't know what to do, right? You seek intercession, right? You seek prayer. You seek the voice of God. And sometimes that involves seeking out the prophetic in your life. And you should have that established in your life. People who you trust prophetically, people who you can go to, and ask, you know, what do you think the Lord is saying in this situation? Would you pray with me? Does this, does this bear witness to you? Can you confirm this word to me? And we're privileged in this church to have a prophecy team that you can sign up for and go to and have that team pray for you and pray with you because sometimes, uh, more than anything, you just need a confirmation, don't you? And that's our greatest compliment, um, those that are on that team. When people leave, they say, it was very much a confirmation. And that's what we seek to do, is give you a confirmation from the Lord. So here this prophet is telling Jehoshaphat, don't fret, don't sweat. All you have to do is just take a stand. And the Lord is even directing them exactly where to stand. And that's right out of Ephesians 6, right? What do you do when you don't know what to do? You take a stand. 
And that's what Ephesians says, right? You put on this full armor, and then what do you do? You stand and you pray. And so isn't it amazing how God gives us a front row seat? So here he's given Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah a front row seat to a battle that's about to take place. And so what happens next is pretty amazing. So I'm on uh, verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohites and Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? You praise him, right? Praise is our weapon. Praise is a mighty weapon. And, you know, it sounds so cliche. It sounds so um, trite sometimes. Oh, I'm going to praise the Lord, and that's going to be how I battle. But it really, really works, doesn't it? Have you ever had a night where you just praised and you got the breakthrough and the enemy just goes tumbling like a rock, right? So they, they hold this worship meeting on the eve of their pending destruction. That must have been really hard to get into the groove uh, and to get into the flow of the worship, knowing that there's three armies advancing on you and waiting to pounce on you first thing in the morning, right? But, but they didn't fret it. They didn't sweat. They did exactly what they knew to do. And they knew in this hour, in this time, the best thing they could do is praise the Lord. Verse 20 says, Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa, as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? You have faith, right? You just have faith. How many times do people tell you, you just got to have faith? And it sounds so um, uh, lame sometimes, so weak sometimes, doesn't it? Because it's easy for you to say, have faith. I'm the one that's got three armies coming at me. But if you have faith and you believe God will deliver you, it gives you confidence, doesn't it? And I talk with you guys all the time about having a history with God. And that's what you need to have, just a list of testimonies. The times that God has delivered you, the times that God has rescued you. You know, remember King David, when he was a shepherd boy, he had a list of accomplishments so when King Saul said, what makes you think you can take on Goliath? He started rattling off. I fought the lion. I fought the bear. I ran off anything that came after my father's sheep. And every one of them fell into my hands. And this, this uncircumcised giant's going to fall just as hard as they did. And what was he doing? He was rehearsing his history with God. And that's what you have to do. Nothing activates your faith more than when you start rehearsing your history with God. Oh, God, I remember when you did this for me and when you entered into this situation and you delivered me from that. And so when you start rehearsing that good and those victories, what happens? Your faith just rises up, doesn't it? And then all of a sudden you look at your circumstance and you're like, this is nothing. God can handle this, no problem. I like how it said that Jehoshaphat bowed low. You know, he got on the ground. He got on his face before God. We used to uh, run a ministry with a lot of teenagers, and if you know, teenagers can be really prideful. They can be really arrogant sometimes, and any time that they start getting, uh, uh, you know, real arrogant or real disrespectful, we'd say, hey, 
go low. And uh, they hated that because, <laughs> you know, it was like saying check up, right? And sometimes when you'd say go low, some of them would say back to you, I am going low. And then we'd say, well, go lower, you know, because you got to get as low as you can go sometimes, right? You got to get down on your very face and show that humility because sometimes we let pride overcome us. And so, again, I love Jehoshaphat because he's such an illustration of doing everything right in a time of trouble. Okay, verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Again, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? You give thanks, right? You just start giving thanks. And I don't know if you've ever prayed these prayers, but this is right out of Psalms 118 and Psalms 136. And the verse just keeps repeating in these Psalms, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So look those two Psalms up tonight, because if you start praying those Psalms, there's something about them. You know, you start giving thanks and, and just reciting his love endures forever. And you start meditating on that, and all of a sudden, the goodness of God just will overtake you. It's amazing. You know, I've read those uh, prayers so many times, and it's just something about them, the anointing that's on them. And so, again, here you have Jehoshaphat, who's in the lineage of David, who wrote these psalms, and his great-great-grandfather Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs, right? And uh, so here's this godly king, and what's he doing? He's reciting all the things that are in his bloodline, in his heritage, and he's calling upon those, those lessons. So we have Jehoshaphat calling for the choir to lead the charge. I don't know about you, but if I was in the choir, I'd ask for a second opinion, you know, because wouldn't you want your fiercest warriors to be up front and not the choir? But here's this choir, you know, they're in their maroon robes and they're going up there, right, to, to battle. And, and it reminds me of Sean Foyt. Has anybody been watching this young man? You know, he's got this kinky, wavy, curly, blonde hair, shoulder length, and he's skinny as a rail and he's got his little skinny jeans on and he shows up in his guitar to every major hotspot in the United States, and he just walks right into a riot zone, strumming his guitar and singing and praising God. What happens? These mini revivals are breaking out, and this one little guy, you know, he's mighty like David, isn't he? Because you look at him, and you'd be like, Goliath, what, you coming at me with sticks and strings? You know, what, what's, what's with you, you know? And he starts strumming that guitar, but what happens? The power of that anointing just saturates the atmosphere. And that's what we say over and over, right? It's up to us to change the atmosphere. And so he's just getting ticket after ticket to go to city after city. I just saw he's going to get the uh, whole lawn of the White House or the, the mall area sometime in October, and he's going to Washington, D.C. to stand right in ground zero and be praying and singing and breaking that yoke of oppression off our nation. So God bless him. God bless him single-handedly, one little guy, right? And, uh, but he did what Jehoshaphat did, right? He sent in the worshipers. He sent in the singers. He sent in the praisers. So amazing. Okay, we're almost there, guys. Uh, 22, 
It says, as they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. Crazy. You can't make this stuff up, can you? I mean, Hollywood can't do better than what the Bible can do, right? I mean, some producers got to get a hold of this and show exactly what happened in this battle. And God's ways are not our ways. I mean, can you imagine Jehoshaphat thinking, how's God going to pull this one off? As that army just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's just looking at these choir boys and girls saying, uh, I don't think this is going to work. But the enemy takes each other out. That's incredible, isn't it? I mean, you couldn't write that. So God's ways are not our ways, right? It's kind of what we're seeing happening right now, right, with some of these movements like Black Lives Matter, Antifa, Defund the Police. And uh, what's interesting is they're all anarchists. Many of them don't even know what they really truly stand for, but they're turning against each other. I mean, they're fighting within themselves. And what's really kind of comical is the mayors and the governors who are sticking up for them to do their peaceful protests, uh, you know, their right to riot, what happens? These people show up on their front lines, right? And they turn against them. And it's like, man, if you want to be friends with anybody, ally yourself with a mayor or a governor that is sticking up for you. Don't attack them. But we're seeing that, aren't we? We're seeing the enemy attacking itself. Very, very interesting. Okay, 24. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Berkiah, where they praised the Lord. That is why it's called the Valley of Baraka to this day. So it takes three days to pick up all the plunder. Either they were really lazy and slow, or there was a lot of plunder, right? There had to be tons of plunder. So can you imagine? I mean, do you ever just entertain in your mind what some of these things look like? Can you imagine, okay, all the shields go in this pile, all the swords go in this pile, all the helmets go in this pile, all the shoes go in this pile, you know, and it just had to be a sight to behold to see all this armament and all this gold and silver that they had massed in one day, right? But it took three days to collect it. So the enemy brought them all this plunder, delivered it right to the <laughs> their doorstep. And so now they got enough to equip three other armies if they ever need it. And it's just an amazing, amazing story if you think about it. So God is complete in victory, and no one's coming to avenge them, right? It said not one man was left standing. I mean, it was complete. They didn't have to look over their shoulder for one minute thinking, who's going to avenge this? Because there was nobody left. It was thorough. And imagine, they, they had a front row seat for this whole thing. You know, I... I just can't imagine that. You know, Psalm 23, I, I love it because it says that he sets a table in the presence of our enemy. 
You know, can you imagine sitting there and eating this banquet feast and your enemies all around you watching you feast? I mean, it's got to be uncomfortable, right? But on the other hand, it's got to be like, God's got me. He's really got me. And so, you know, here he takes them and gives them a front row seat to this battle and says, watch what I can do in this situation. And when it's all said and done, all the plunder is yours. Just amazing. Okay, 27. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. The Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for God had given him rest on every side. Wow. Peace on every side. Peace and rest on every side. So that's kind of the, they lived happily ever after, isn't it? So God honored Jehoshaphat for being a godly king, for being a king who wanted to follow his ways, and being a king who employed all these lessons. And he changed the atmosphere of that territory, didn't he? So just in a quick recap, let's look at the bottom of your page of what to do when you don't know what to do. Number one, turn your eyes on the Lord. Fast and pray. The most important thing we can do is fast and pray. Seek his face, right? Number two, confess your weakness. Lord, I can't do this on my own. I'll tell you, that's probably my most frequent prayer. Lord, help me. Lord, show me. Lord, I don't know what to do. And I'll tell you what, if you're honest, if you're sincere, if you're contrite, if you're humble, God loves to rush in and help you in those situations, doesn't he? Number three, seek intercession and wise counsel. So many times we try to go it on our own, but we want to be sure that we're hearing correctly. And so have that infrastructure in place. You know, as I meet with some of our teams that have been going through this whole COVID experience, and I ask them, you know, repeatedly, like, what's the lessons learned? What, what are you gleaning from all of this? You know, a lot of people are telling me, I don't realize how alone I am. I don't realize how I don't really have any friends. I realize that nobody cares about me. Um, nobody called me during COVID. Um, you know, so they're starting to take inventory, aren't they? They're starting to say, what's, what's this life all about if I don't have these relationships, if I don't have these friendships, if I don't have people checking in on me? And, um, you know, it's a call to each one of us. Who have you checked in on? You know, who have you cared for in, in this time? And so it's really important to have these people in your life that you know that you can go to any time and they can pray for you and they can stand with you or they can prophesy over you or they can bring you food or whatever your need is. We have to have that infrastructure in place. So if COVID was a dry run for anything, I think it was a dry run for that, right? It was a wake-up call that we need each other. And that's what we're supposed to be, the church, the body of Christ. We're supposed to be helping each other out. And so, you know, as time goes on, I think we really need to do a post-mortem on this whole COVID experience to say, okay, God, what are we learning? What are we going to do the next time something like this happens? You know, what's, what's the plan? What's the play? But right now, I just want to encourage you to start building 
that infrastructure in your life and be that for other people as well. Number four, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Stand firm. You know, nothing more intimidating than, you know, when you give your best shot to somebody or, you, you know, you puff up or, you know, you pop out your chest at someone or you make a fist and they don't flinch, right? Because the most you want to happen is for them to start backing up, right? And so if you can get the other opponent backing up, that makes you feel like you got some superiority. Superiority makes you feel like maybe I really am the alpha in this situation. But when somebody just stands there and they don't blink, what happens? Like, oh man, I'm out of I'm out of moves here. Um, I'm in trouble. I, I may have overextended myself here. So stand firm. Don't flinch. Just God's got this. I'm I'm standing. God tells us to stand. So so don't be afraid. Time and time again, the Bible tells us, don't be afraid. Um, number five, praise and worship. It works, it works, it works. I just can't tell you enough how you need to praise and worship. So when you don't know what to do, just start praising. Put on your favorite praise music and just go to war. Number six, have faith. God will uphold you. You know, faith is so important to have that in your life. And again, it's what I said. Just rehearse all those times that God was there for you, all those times God delivered you. And lastly, give thanks. It's so important, you know, that attitude of gratitude when you just thank God, thank you, Lord. I know you got this. Thank you, Lord, for all those times you helped me. God responds to that, doesn't he? I mean, what parent doesn't love when their child is grateful and thankful? That makes you want to bless them all the more, doesn't it? And so God is our father. He's our parent. And so uh, as many chances, as often as you get, start giving him thanks. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. And just start looking for the good and say, thank you, Lord. I'm so blessed. And, and I'll tell you what, your attitude will change and the atmosphere will begin to change as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you show us what to do when we don't know what to do. Lord, that you give us a way of escape. Lord, that you help us in time of trouble. Lord, we thank you for King Jehoshaphat, who serves as an example of what to do. Lord, when we're lost, when we're concerned. Lord, when we're surrounded by the enemy. When the enemy comes in like the flood, we don't need to worry. Lord, help us to stand. Help us to rise up in our faith. Help us to praise and worship you. Lord, we just pray in the days and weeks ahead that with all the news and all the reports that swirl about us, Lord, that we would not be anxious for nothing, but, Lord, that we would be confident, Lord, that we would be bold, Lord, that we would change the very atmosphere, Lord, that we would say no to the ways of this world, no to the ways of the enemy, Lord, that we would be your ambassadors here on earth and that people would just marvel at our strength, at our peace, at our joy, and, Lord, that they would say, I want what he has. I want what she has. Lord, that they would run hard after the very thing that we've gotten a hold of, and that's you. Lord, we just want to remember you for all that you've done for us. And, Lord, as we sang tonight, I just want you and nothing else. Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be so satisfied and so content that that would be our testimony. We just want you and nothing else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.